Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, and uh, hopefully welcome to the kingdom someday. (laughs) So, if anybody would actually start to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but unfortunately, uh, there's a great deal of foolishness going around representing itself as the gospel of the kingdom. So, we've been going through Ecclesiastes, uh, and quite a few quotes in Ecclesiastes is brought, are brought up in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, they're brought up by numerous of the prophets. Yet it, uh, I wouldn't say it's the most misunderstood book of the Bible, but it is a poorly understood book of the Bible. Uh, because almost nobody is equating what he is talking about to the modern gospel. Yet, As we'll see as we progress, we're in uh, Ecclesiastes 9 at this time. But when we get into 11 and 12, we'll start to see even more of these quotes that bring us uh, right into the activities in Acts and in the Gospel of John and, and numerous of the other Gospels. We'll see how they're progressing through... Ecclesiastes, in referencing what is going on in the uh, biblical text and and what is going on in the uh, events of the early apostles. Right offhand, Acts 6 comes to mind. There's a particular event in Acts 6 that is almost completely misunderstood. You could blame it on the translation, although the translation is not necessarily wrong. It's just been, it it is allowed ministers to mislead the people in looking the other way. And and we'll see in Ecclesiastes 12 when he finally sums up everything into the basics of his entire message that he is going, and, and he is quoted, literally quoted in the New Testament. And yet, I can show you where that summary, both in the New Testament and John and several other verses of the Bible, as well as in Ecclesiastes, is perverted by modern doctrines that are in most of the churches, which everybody disclaims to. It's crept in, you know, like foolish women. That's what it says in the New Testament. And people just don't want to see it. And so what we've been doing is not only going through Ecclesiastes and showing you some of the the words and the meanings and referencing them to other books like Proverbs and, and Psalms, which of course like even in Psalms, David is quoted by Paul several times. Uh, that what David was trying to tell the people, which they have gone absolutely the opposite of today in the modern church. But what David was trying to tell the people, Paul repeated and said over and over again. And so I've been adding to a lot of the footnotes on uh, Ecclesiastes and, uh, and putting together these footnotes that show 
that these statements that he's making in that book are also made not only in the other books and epistles of the Bible, but are repeated throughout the whole context of the Bible from the beginning to the end. And yet, then it's a very short step to seeing that what the modern church is doing, what modern Christians think they are doing, because they think they're saved. You know, this is, this is the popular thing. I'm saved because I believe in Jesus. But Jesus says, not those who say, but those who do. And so, what is it are we supposed to be doing? Because uh, Ecclesiastes is talking about a lot of things that we do that are vanities, empty. That vanity of vanities, that they're folly, that they're madness. You know, like the word madness. Now, I had an article up media madness at one time. No, I still have it up. And it showed you how things were presented in the media that were absolutely false. And they they just, they maybe showed you a video or they showed you uh, an interview, but they left out parts of it so that you would not understand what was actually going on. And people would get all emotional and upset and and angry or excited or, or wonderful, you know, like well, you know, like they're going to solve something. Usually, it was the negative thing because that's what media sells mostly. Most people people want to see. Do uh, most people read paper according to Hobson's choice uh, because they're interested in what is happening bad to other people. And so that's what the, the the sensational bad things seem to sell a lot better than the sensational good things. Occasionally they try to throw something in there that is good, but even when they show us things that they say now are good, which are actually bad, <laughs> we don't see it. And why? Because of that madness. Uh, because of, and when you look at the, the word madness, I mean, it shows up quite a few times in the biblical text. Deuteronomy is the first place we see it, the word madness, uh, pop up. And, uh, it's, uh, but of course there's different Hebrew words that are translated into madness. You'll see the word madness show up in Ecclesiastes more than any other book of the Bible. But it's a particular word that's showing up as madness that is not the same one that we saw in Deuteronomy. When, you know, Deuteronomy 28, 28, pretty easy to remember. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of the heart. It's saying, you know, and then you can go read all of Deuteronomy and, and maybe, and we've gone through a little bit of Deuteronomy, a little bit of Leviticus, but, right, we finished our series on Exodus and that brought us a little bit into Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus because they're all written by Moses. But, uh, yeah, we probably should do Deuteronomy. Should We should do uh, Ezra. We should do Jeremiah. <laughs> we're, we're just going to have to keep working at it to go through these. But what I want to start tying together that all these guys are talking about the same thing. And it's the very thing the modern church doesn't want to talk about and actually is a distraction from. 
But in Deuteronomy, when it says with madness and blindness and astonishment, that word blindness, Jesus talks about blindness. The blind leading the blind. Well, that's the New Testament church. The, the modern New Testament church. The real New Testament church was pointing out the blindness. And that people were blind. And that their eyes would be darkened. That's the same thing. If your eyes are darkened, that, that you're blind. And, and that's associated with madness. And then we can look at the word astonishment at another time. But in Ecclesiastes, we, uh, we have a different word that is translated madness. Halalah is the word. And, and it often appears with a number of extra letters. And we'll look at that as we go through some of the verses that have these. But this this word madness is often associated with foolishness, folly, and mischief is another one. We see in Ecclesiastes 10, which we haven't got to yet. But mischief and madness are associated together. The end of his talk, mischief and madness. Whose talk? The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. So there, foolishness. And the end of his talk is mischievous and madness. So that this term madness shows up with the idea of foolishness, with the idea of blindness, with the idea of eyes being darkened, and mischief being done. And of course the mischief is is you know, it would be considered, if you were doing something to return everybody to the bondage of Egypt, something that God says we should never go back to, and and the whole story of Moses and Exodus is leading us out of, and, and that whole study of Jordan Peterson talking about Exodus never really got to. I mean, they actually, a few of their panelists mentioned these these things, but they never ever discussed them in context. They were always going off on tangents. I mean, so many of the things they said was was good. But if you don't get to the heart of the matter, if you don't get past the blindness, if you don't see the the wholeness of what Moses was doing, it's all to no avail. Which, of course, Ecclesiastes also talks about. You know, the making of books, there is no end. You know, uh, the study, studying and studying brings us weariness. Yet in the New Testament, we see study to show thyself approved. The problem is, in the New Testament, when they say study to show thyself approved, the word there translated study is not translated study anywhere else in the Bible. <laughs> and it does not mean study. It means be diligent. Which brings us right to what Jesus says when people say all you have to do is believe. Well, you have to believe in the real Jesus. I mean, you can believe in all kinds of images of Jesus that you've conjured up with the help of theologians and pastors and the brutish pastors. And you believe in that image, but it's not the real Jesus. It makes you feel good. But it's not the real Jesus. You want to believe in the real Jesus, Christ. And understand what he is telling us and showing us. That's what you want to believe in. But if you really believe in that, 
The New Testament tells you. Ecclesiastes tells you. Many of the prophets tell you. You will keep the commandments. So if you're not keeping the commandments, that is evidence to you that what you thought you believed in, the image of Christ that you thought you believed in, was a false image, a false Christ, which the New Testament tells you there will be many false Christs, many images of false Christs. And so, if you're not keeping the commandments, if you have returned to the bondage of Egypt, if you have gone the way of foolishness, if you've gone the way of madness, your eyes may be darkened and you may not be seeing the whole truth. And the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes 9, which is what we're going to read in a minute. In their heart, while they live, and after that they go to the dead. They don't go to the living. They go to the dead. Because they're not seeing the light. They're living in darkness. They're doing the wickedness of folly, which we saw in Ecclesiastes 7. I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom. But he applied his heart. And the reason of things. So he tried to rationalize it out. And to know wickedness of folly. What is the folly? What is the foolishness? We see foolishness way back with Saul. When he did a foolish thing. And his kingdom was not going to stand. Your liberty will not stand if you do foolish things. You will lose your liberty if you do the same kind of foolish things and indulge in the same kind of mischief and foolish things that Saul was doing. And what did Saul do? He forced a sacrifice. When he forced a sacrifice, he did what Ecclesiastes says is the sacrifice of fools. Now, they refer to the sacrifice of fools several times in the New Testament. But, uh, and, and we'll take a look at that as we get through these. But, uh, they don't call it the sacrifice of fools. They, it's, it's talking about sacrifice. But it's the sacrifice of devils. And that's the sacrifice of fools. And that is the sacrifice of foolishness. And it is the fourth sacrifice of Saul. And to depend upon that sacrifice and to eat of the table set by that sacrifice is not only foolish but mischievous. And will bring you back into the bondage of Egypt. And curse your children for generations to come. So you don't want to do that. The problem is you've done that. You've done that already. And so we're going to go through this and, you know, and we'll see eventually Ecclesiastes, he says, but, he, you know, that he knows that the endless study is weariness and that uh, in the making of books there is no end. But yet he still endeavored to find the words to share with you. I saw a post uh, on Facebook this morning when I first got up. It was an anomaly. And 
And he, he pointed out that he had predicted stuff way back in 2019 that we see taking place in 2020 and 2022. You know, that they're taking over the management of your health, the, the world, world order, the government, whatever is taking over. Well, they're, they're not actually usurping your rights. You're casting your rights away. Cause, you know, and I, I wrote Anomaly back. I don't know if he'll read it, you know, but, uh, the greatest destroyers of liberty are those who are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. That, we've known that for thousands of years. But we have not retained the knowledge. And of course, Ecclesiastes talks about that. That the, the, the poor man who saves the city, we talked about that previously. The poor man who saves the city, they will not remember. When, and, and that's what I heard preachers telling when they were going through Ecclesiastes and interpreting it. But that's not what it says. It says they will not remember his wisdom. And the poor man is the humble man who is willing to see the truth. Willing to open his eyes and see what is true even if he has to see his own folly. His own foolishness. And see, that's what kept Adam and Eve out of the garden. They didn't want to see their own foolishness by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By trying to decide what was good and evil with their own wisdom. They applied their own heart in search to seek out wisdom. Their own mind to seek out wisdom. And that is eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But if you eat of the tree of life, you eat of revelation. And see, this is key. That, you know, Desmond, uh, who, if you look up our article on... Uh, uh, mass formation of psychosis. Uh, he talks about the fact that, you know, he's studied and, and he, he like, you know, I've watched Anomaly, I've watched him and, you know, looked over his career and you can see that he is, he is trying to awaken to some degree, seeing things that other people around him are not seeing. And he's, but he's also seeing other people around him, scientists, who were atheists and are now become believers that there has to be a God. The more they studied science, the more they realized they have to be a God. Is it because they studied? Because there's a lot of other guys studying who still think there is no God. And there are many people who study and think there is a God. They just can't identify Him. <laughs> they can't recognize what is of God and what is of those who would seek to draw you away from God so that they could have control over you. See, that's what the serpent, the snake, uh, in the garden, wanted to have dominion over the world. He didn't have dominion. Man had dominion. And so he wanted man to fall away from the tree of life so that he could have dominion over man. And because of that, he was confined <laughs> to the to the earth, to the to the depths of the earth. 
where he had to slither on his belly, so to speak. Because these are metaphors. We don't want to take them too literally. And that's the way they would go. But the, those who fall prey to his mischief and rebuke not iniquity, like the, the, the dumb ass in Second Peter 2.16, with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. It says. Of course that's another word. But it's a, it's an actual, the, the Hebrew word that we're dealing with in that Second Peter 2.16 that they translated into madness is from a word that means foolish. So we're back to connecting that madness with foolishness. And but we're going to end up, you know, where we're talking about this, uh, you know, the sacrifice of fools is also the sacrifice of devils. And so, this mischievous devil personality that crops up throughout the testaments is a certain spirit, and it's a spirit to control others. To force others to do what you want done. To benefit from others. It's not about to love your neighbor as yourself. It's to care about your neighbor and to contribute to your neighbor. I mean, if your neighbor is has no coat and you have an extra coat, you want to share it with your neighbor. That's love. You want to share it with him in a way you don't want to encourage him, you know, now that he doesn't have to go buy a coat and go buy some whiskey or cocaine. And uh, you don't want to do that. But if he actually needs a coat, you, you want to do the loving thing to help him out. And you want to do the same in meats. This is what John the Baptist is saying. But if the spirit that you are playing foolishly with says that if your neighbor doesn't have enough of what he thinks he needs let's take from your other neighbor by force institute the law of force and take away from your other neighbor so that you can give what was your other neighbors to this neighbor well, that's the antithesis of the teachings of John the Baptist and the antithesis of the teachings of Jesus Christ and the antithesis of what Moses was saying and the antithesis of what Ecclesiastes is saying. It's the opposite. They're all talking about loving your neighbor as yourself and not coveting your other neighbor's goods to do it. But anyway, we'll have to talk more about this as we get into Ecclesiastes 9 when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And so we'll get right into Ecclesiastes 9 because there's a lot in this. And we're going to try to connect it to a lot of the other teachings that we see coming down to us through the Bible. And uh, there's a lot of metaphors in here. And there's a lot of uh, terms in here that we need to define. And we've been doing it, so we won't go through every single one of them. But if you go back, to, you can go back to the beginning of this series on Ecclesiastes at Preparing You. 
and, and go through the other eight chapters that we've already done and uh, see if you can be brought up to speed if you're a new listener. And, of course, if you want more new listeners, you have to share these with other people on social media to try to to outweigh the madness that's <laughs> already on social media so that people will be able to at least have the opportunity of seeing that light and coming out of the darkness. Still their choice. Uh, somebody on social media was uh, criticizing this prediction of anomalies about you know, his, his statement, and they said, uh, and, and in his statement, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. They criticized the proverb. He said it was a proverb. And it actually is a proverb that goes way back to, I think uh, it goes back to 1175. I mean, it is one of the oldest proverbs, uh, English proverbs, in the history of mankind. Uh you can actually read it in the Old English and you can't even hardly make it out. It's so old. But they were criticizing that they had seen on TV that you can make a horse drink. <laughs> well, well, you know, that it was a proverb. And, and I said, well, I've seen on TV that John Wayne said the same thing. So, uh, but, you know, I have paraphrased that ancient proverb. With you can lead a person, you can share with person knowledge, but you can't make them think. So ultimately, you know, at least if you share with people, you offer them the choice. And whether they think or not, you have no power over that. But you have power over what you do. You can choose to share. And sharing is what the Gospel of John the Baptist was all about. You know, if you have two coats and your neighbor doesn't have any, you share. Well, if your neighbor lives in darkness, you can bring a little light into the room and share a little truth with him. And it's even more valuable to you if you share it with people you don't even know. Because now you, now you have to do it with love can't do it with vanity because you know vanity is empty but if you do it with love what you actually want to share the truth with others and then then of course there is an admonition by Christ that you have to be careful not to cast pearls to swine and there's a lot of swine out there but let the spirit lead you become an activist for the truth become the light in the room you know I you know, he his prediction was before the pandemic that he could see that they were trying to get control of all our health and uh, needs in, in in the world and in America specifically. And I pointed out in a post to him that uh, in in Oregon here, before anybody even knew the word COVID, before anybody knew the word you know pandemic was in the news. There was legislation moving towards the majority Democrat uh, Congress of Oregon that would allow for forced vaccinations of Oregonians. You know, and it, it, you might have been able to turn it over, but if it got passed in 2019, 
by 2020, it would still be on its way up to the Supreme Court. <laughs> so, but, but somebody was introducing that legislation before there was any sign of a pandemic. And some of the people that were introducing that had received large amounts of money from Soros. So what's going on here? Uh, it would have appeared in front of Congress to be voted on by this vastly majority Democrat Congress, which I, I think is a travesty to begin with because I don't believe that the voters are really there. The active voters are really there. I think there has been shenanigans in Oregonian politics for decades and decades. And, and it started immensely. I mean, it's always been there. There's always been some shenanigans. But it started uh, much more uh, profoundly when they started going to this promoting the mail-in ballots. And, and certain districts and counties are just overwhelmed with that and you don't get an honest vote. And I think that's been going on for a long time. But regardless of that, this was coming up for a vote. And somebody was, and it comes before the county commissioners of the state of Oregon first. And, and one judge, I think there's one judge in there. And they debate it, and then they, if they vote for it, it will then go on to be voted on in the legislature. If they vote it down, it doesn't go on. It's a way of filtering out the thousands of bills that come to the legislature every year. And they were going to pass it to go to the legislature. Because of the way it was presented, they, some people, you know, there were two women that were speaking on, uh, you know, promoting this, and they were saying how value it would be, and you know, and how important it would be in a serious pandemic, and all this kind of stuff. And and people were sitting there, yeah, yeah, kind of nodding their heads. And they appeared to have the vote, but somebody called for an actual raising of the hand vote. You know, where you actually count the hands rather than a voice vote, and. Uh, and one particular uh, county commissioner spoke up and brought up just some basic reasoning. You know, that, that particular commissioner had never been to school a day in his life. He'd never had a vaccination in a day in his life. And he had a different perspective on this. Now, he didn't mention those things. But he just mentioned this. He just brought a little bit of light into the room on the topic. And he was later approached by people who said they changed their vote just because of the short statements that he made. And personally, I don't believe that the statements themselves is what causes the heart to change. It's the spirit that moves you, moves you to speak. And with your words, that spirit goes out. So that's why I say, you know, if you share this, you have to share it with the spirit of love. Because if you, if you don't share it with the spirit of love, you may have a counter effect. You may cause people to entrench. But that was voted down at that particular time just by a few votes. And a few men said they changed their vote just because of what he said. So one man speaking up, speaking up the truth, 
not just his truth, but a truth that he has come to through his own personal struggles, can change the hearts of men, can change the outcome. So don't be hesitant. But don't be hesitant to do it with love and care. And and you're not trying to take away somebody else's right to decide, but give them the opportunity to decide, the choice to decide. And why do we do that? Well, the first heading in Ecclesiastes 9 is, Death comes to us all. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. How do you know love? You you don't know because you figured out love. I know somebody who said he didn't get want to get married until he understood women. <laughs> well, he's an old man and childless today. <laughs> and he probably still doesn't understand women. Uh, although the quest to understand women is a worthwhile quest, but uh, to block the very foundational institution to help you understand women which can only come about when you understand yourself because you have to do that first and and vice versa we are different because in that difference we may be awakened to our foolishness and then once awakened to it foolishness does not like the light and so, either foolish will flee, the foolish will flee, <laughs> or they will try to put out the light. Verse 2. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, to the unclean, to him that sacrifices and to him that sacrifice not as is good so the sinner and he that sweareth as he that feareth an oath so in other words World War II in Europe happened to everybody in Europe you know when Dresden was bombed everybody in Dresden was engulfed in the flames. That's the way it is. When the flood come, you know, of course now I talked just in the last show, I think it was, about somebody who worked every day in Hiroshima. And he was a virtual workaholic. He never missed a day of work. And one day he got up and he said, I'm going fishing. And he played hooky from work. Something that was just completely out of character. And he walked over the hill and he went down to the water and he and he went fishing. I don't know how many fish he caught that day. <laughs> that wasn't in the story. But when he came back, Hiroshima was no longer there. It was gone. 
So that happens too. But we have to realize that bad things happen. And your choice is not, is not to do what is right because you're going to get gifts and rewards for doing what is right. You have to do it because you love what is right. You love the truth. And you're willing to follow the truth. You're not, you're not seeking to escape it. So that's very important. Because you taint the inspiration of God when you do it for gain. You don't want to be greedy for gain. You, you want to have a soul that is willing to sacrifice according to the will of God. So that's very important. But I thought it was also interesting in that one second verse there that he equates, you know, so is the sinner and he that sweareth and he that feareth an oath. And of course we can, I should put a link in there, I'm making a note to self, that this idea of swearing is brought up by Jesus. And by James, swear not at all. Above all else, stop the taking of oaths. Because this is how you become a part of the system of the sacrifice of fools. The next section I I list off as the heart of a man is evil and madness. Now, when the heart of the man is not filled with God, it is evil and and madness. And, and he says in verse 3, This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness. Is in the heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So, the, I, I note that, the, that this uh, idea of madness, the heart of a man is evil and madness. And that word madness is the halal, uh, which is normally hey, uh, vav, lamad, lamad. Hey, that's normally what you see when you you look at the word. But in this case, it's vav hey, vav lamad lamad, vav tav at the end. That's the way it's written in this particular text. And and the original vav has to do probably with the idea that it's and madness. A lot of times when you see a vav at the beginning of word, it is translated and madness. So it's full of evil and madness. And that and comes from putting that vav at the beginning of the word. Now, that's not always why it's there. If the heart of a man is evil and madness, and he puts in this particular word madness with a double lamad. Now, we have a whole... Uh, if you actually go and, and you look on the website we have, where it shows double letters all the time in the Hebrew that are not normally in the word, although sometimes they are because the 
what they've done is they've taken all these thousands of variations of every single word, every single root word, and they will ascribe a Strong's number to it, and they say, well, that's the word. But there's actually three, four, five, six extra letters sometimes in these words, and each of these letters either has to do with syntax or the meaning of the word. By changing that end hey to a tov, that has something to do with faith. Lamad, Lamad has to, Lamad has to do with hands and actions. And, and we'll, we'll get into Acts 6, which is about actions, where they're putting their faith into action. But when you have two of that particular letter, it means in spirit and truth. Almost always. I'm not going to say always because I haven't come across every single, but whenever you see a double letter, it usually, like a double tov. There's an actual double tov that's written a number, number of different ways throughout ancient history. That has to do with the spirit of truth and that truth in action. Actually, in the physical world, under the sun, as Ecclesiastes would say. And as long as you are alive, you can manifest that truth or that madness in spirit and truth. And you can do that on a a regular basis. So, if the heart of a man is evil and madness, that particular madness, how can we figure out the will of God with the wisdom of our own heart? Because that's what he's saying, that the heart of man is this madness, this this vav hey vav double lamad, where you're divided from faith, the true faith in that true image of Christ, instead of all the false images of Christ that we put in our teachings and in our churches. And then people believe in that false image of Christ. So by seeing the precept upon precept of God, God is the same today as he was yesterday, that we see that all the prophets are talking about a particular thing and and particular issues of foolishness and madness all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And then we look in the modern church and they don't even regard this at all. Because they imagine that they are already saved. Because they believe in Jesus. Now, I'm not questioning whether you believe in Jesus. I want you to question that. And, of course, the the chief thing that would tell you that your image of Jesus is false, not wholly accurate, it may be partly accurate, but not wholly accurate, is that you're not keeping the commandments. And that's why we... Uh, you know, if you go back to Exodus 21 and listen to it, we have three recordings on Exodus 21. So you go to preparing you, go back to Exodus 21 and you can listen to those recordings that I'm showing people what Jordan Peterson and his group missed, what most churches are missing. And I'm trying to help them understand what it is that they're not seeing. So that they can choose to see it. And it, it, it takes, uh, quite a bit of effort to put this down and go over it time and time again as to what people are missing. But, and I know that many people, even though that, you know, you explain it in great detail, they will choose to continue to miss it.
and and they will try to defame us or blackball us or say bad things about us, <laughs> whatever. And that's okay. Uh, as far as, you know, I've already forgiven them in my heart. I'm not going to hold that against them in any way, shape, or form. There's no point in that. So, but we need to be willing to look at these things ourselves because it will make a difference to us. It will make a difference to our children. And and it has already made a difference. It has altered the course of events for us all. And so we need to turn around our thinking, which is what repentance is all about, and look at things differently. So this madness is in our hearts because we're fallen creatures, because we are sinners. You may think you're saved because you've accepted some image of Jesus Christ, but don't count on it. Because after all this, the those who are living at the madness, by the madness, by the evil, will go to the dead, not to the living. And Jesus talks about that. Let the dead bury the dead. The people, the walking around people are burying dead people. But he calls those walking around people the dead, the walking dead. They're burying the dead. Don't be amongst the dead. Be amongst the living. So in verse 4 he says, For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For the living dog is better than a dead lion. Well, there's a metaphor for you. Now he's talking about those walking around living. There is hope that they will live lamad lamad in spirit and truth. That's There's the hope. But they will not live in spirit and truth unless they are willing to see and receive the revelation of the Spirit. And so I can't give you the revelation of the Spirit. I can share with you with many words what has been revealed to me. In verse 5, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred. Their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. So there, there is this word portion. And that's going to come up more than once. But this portion, this part, uh, it's translated a lot of different ways. Mostly portion, but also part. But it's actually one time, it's a couple times it's translated either flattering or flattery. But it also can be translated inheritance. Even territory, it, it has the meaning of portion, share, part, or territory. So this is why if God shares the truth with you through anybody, me or anybody else, and... But you see the truth. You realize, oh my gosh, that's true. The fact that you realize, really realize, if you really realize that it's true. That's the revelation of God. And, you know, we, I, we have a lot of people that say they agree with us or agree with us 100%, but they don't become doers of the word. 
They 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 are still following, battling their own windmills. They're dragging around their own past because of usually unforgiveness. Uh, you know the their their past traumas. You know their father was an overbearing marine and their mother was this kindly sweet saint. But uh, the images of their parents are may not be a hundred percent accurate. You know, and I, I love this story as told by, uh, suddenly I forgot his name, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but, uh, he tells about his father, he had so misunderstood his father. He didn't know his father. He didn't know his, where his father came from. And so, we need to take the time to know other people, and know the situation and circumstances. And we'll have to look at that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. After another brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, this idea of a portion, uh, that you lose that portion under the sun, is replicated also in the idea that if you deny the truth, you will not have a portion of the light. And that's why blindness comes. That's why madness comes. You know, like we, like when I read Deuteronomy 28, 28, it says that the Lord will smite you with madness and blindness and astonishment. And, and I, I didn't say much about it before, but this word astonishment actually, it, you know, it only appears twice in the, in the Bible, but it, it actually means astonishment or bewilderment or stupefaction, <laughs> and it, it it means astounded that you know shocked by. It comes from another word that does appear a number of times. But uh, this this idea that you will not know, you will not see, you will not have eyes to see. That that somebody will speak the truth and you go like, what? That's ridiculous. I never heard of anything. I'm just astounded that you even say such a thing. It's because they live in darkness. They can't get it. They they haven't seen it. But and the key factor isn't that you now tell them the truth. The key factor is that they will now receive the truth. But in order to really see the truth in their own heart and mind. They have to see in their own heart and mind to see the foolishness that is already there. And that takes humility. And many times it takes you forgiving people of your past that have brought trauma into your life. So all these things that Christ says, they're not just suggestions. You know, forgiveness, giving. Giving is a test of your forgiveness. It's important because it brings you into confrontation with the vanity of your own heart, the emptiness of your own heart. And what is it empty of? It's empty of the true light of God. And people try to replace that with emotions and feelings and music and cocaine and whatever. They're, they're empty vessels. They're the dead walking. And they try to 
create some sort of sense of life because they have no life because all life comes from the tree of life which comes from God. Otherwise, you're, you just are reduced to an animal, a perfect savage. So this is why you need to not do the sacrifice of fools but the sacrifice of righteousness. So in verse 7, it go, go thy way, eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Why all of a sudden that verse? Well, one thing, he says, go thy way. Eat thy bread. Drink thy wine. It didn't say go somebody else's way or get in somebody else's way. Take away the rights of other people. Eat their bread. Drink their wine. And the world would have you do that. You will pay your student loans. They're not going to pay your student loans. They're going to make somebody else pay your student loan. Go to our free public schools. They're not free. Everybody in your community, all the neighbors in your community, are forced under threat of taking their homes away if they don't pay into your free education. You haven't gone your way when you go to public school. You go their way. You eat their bread. You drink their wine. That's how you get that free school. That free Medicare, that free Medicaid, that even Social Security. Social Security doesn't come from what you paid in. That's gone. That was gone before you paid it in. Because the system started in debt. It started because of debt. And that's the system that brought you into the bondage of Egypt. What's the bondage of Egypt? You don't own anything. Already that's the case. Which we can explain that if you don't, you know, get on the network. Write us, we'll show you how you can find that out. But also, besides not owning anything, you're in the bondage of Egypt. Uh, a large portion of your labor is no longer yours. That was the bondage of Egypt. It belonged to the government. 20% in Egypt. You got 14 just to pay into Social Security plus income tax. So you are in the bondage of Egypt. Does that is that astonishing to hear that? That's because you've been living in darkness and your pastors are brutish pastors who haven't been telling you the truth. It's right there. It's not a secret. It says a fifth part of all that they produce goes to the government of the Pharaoh. And Jesus said, don't be like the governments of the other nation who call themselves benefactors because that's what the Pharaoh called himself. But exercise authority. Force the contributions of the people. Because if you depend upon that table, which we will get to, your garments are no longer white. Which is the next verse. Let thy garments be always white. And let thy head lack no ointment. Lack no oil. The foolish virgins ran out of oil. Because they were foolish. You know, there are several words that are uh, translated into garment. But this one is the beged uh, word. That's in Hebrew, it's beged, uh, which I think is be it gimel. Uh, 
Delit. As a root word. But it's defined treachery and deceit. The, the word, it can be defined as garment or clothing. But it, its first definition is treachery and deceit. And it is the word they use when they are putting the garments on the priests of Israel. Because those garments are their covering. But they are tempting them to treachery and deceit. That's why it's the same word. It's the same word both ways. Now, the word white they use has to do with Laban, which has to do with bricks made white. How do you make bricks white? You turn up the heat. You turn up the light. So he wants you to stay white by letting the light in, by you willing to see the truth all the time. That's important, that you're willing to see the truth about yourselves all the way, all the time. Otherwise, your garments will become treachery and deceit. Your position of power will become treachery and deceit. The Levites, as the priests, had power, but not over the people. They had power over the things that people freely gave. That was absolutely essential at the altars of God is that all the offerings are freely given. In such a society, you go thy way, eat thy bread, and drink thy wine, not your neighbor's wine, unless your neighbor freely shares it with you. Because in sharing a part of what you produce, your life, you're laying down your life for your fellow man. And this is how you get life more abundant. This is how you open the door to the floodgates of righteousness. And you'll begin to see more things without so much astonishment or madness. That same word, madness, that we saw in Ecclesiastes 9.3, if you look at it in uh, uh, New American Standard or the International Bible is translated insanity. <laughs> so, just just a heads up on that. And that's what the world we see now. A lot of people say the world's gone insane. It's doing all these crazy things. It all goes back to this: the insanity you're receiving is the portion that you're receiving. The insanity you're seeing is because we're taking a bite out of one another. We're not eating our bread. We're eating our neighbor's bread. We're not eating our flesh. We're eating our neighbor's flesh. And we need to repent of that. Number nine. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. Which he hath given thee under the sun. All the days of thy vanity. Vanity again is emptiness. So in your emptiness, you share your life with your spouse and your children. Otherwise, your life is empty. Because in having children, you're passing your life on to somebody else. If you're not having children, you should attach yourself to a family and help them raise their children. You should adopt or whatever. Hopefully, husband and wife adopting, <laughs> if you can't have children. 
But that that structure that is where the birth of society takes place, that family structure, is designed to bring you to light. Or you, but many are fleeing into the darkness, into the blindness, into the madness, and that's why you, you see these people doing absolutely crazy things. You know, mutilating their children, sacrificing their children, bloody sacrifices of their children. Uh, Tucker Carlson referred to this mass abortion. Even now, they're talking about in some states that you can actually abort your baby 27 days after you have given birth to it. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. But they were crazy long before. That's just crazier or the craziest. So, live joyfully with thy wife all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion. Again, there's that word portion. In this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it. With thy might. For there is no work, no device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. So whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. Remember in Proverbs, just before this book, the slothful shall be under tribute. And of course, everybody in the world today is under tribute. That's that's what... The Corvi system of Egypt, the bondage of Egypt, that 20%, that one-fifth of your labor, that was your tribute to the Pharaoh, who was going to provide you with a social safety net, according to his discretion, but you had to pay into it. That was tribute. When Solomon tried to create a similar system, he was accused of being a second Pharaoh. We we heard that briefly, briefly in the Jordan Peterson uh, symposium, where Oz pointed that out, and then everybody just kind of went by. They they didn't see it. They weren't even astonished by it. Maybe inside a little bit, but they go like, "Well, wait a minute. We've done that. They didn't do that. They didn't realize that we FDR was our new pharaoh, our federal pharaoh." I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and, they have a word there, chance happeneth to them all. Well, I mean, we can look at that word chance. Which it was his pega, or pega, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But it, it's pay, again, gimel. Gimel is the letter of cause, cause and effect, an. And uh, it actually doesn't really mean chance. I mean, it comes from a word that is translated encounter, meet, reach, retreat. Uh, it is translated a current uh, and chance, because it only appears twice, but it means occurrence, happening, or chance. 
So when we say chance, it's like it's random, like there's some sort of roll of the dice. It doesn't really mean that. It means occurrence. It's something that happens. It's not by chance. It's not by randomness. The law of God is in place. And sometimes difficulty comes to us in order to make us stronger. I mean, your father gives chores to his son not to be mean, hopefully, <laughs> but to make him stronger. To to create those, long, you know, psychologists realize that when somebody completes a task that was difficult, it creates patterns in their brain. That they're more likely to complete tasks when they get older. But if they don't complete tasks and they, they fail when they're younger, that can create a pattern where you will simply not create tasks. You, you'll not complete tasks. And so you want to raise your children with the idea, let's get it done. Even if you have to help them occasionally, but it's best they get it done on their own. For man also knoweth not his time as the fishes that are taken in an evil net and as the birds that are caught in the snare. So are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. Again, in Proverbs just before that. Proverbs 1, Proverbs 10 it's talking about a net and a snare and one purse and consenting with an oath to have one purse for gain, to lurk privately for the blood of the innocent, to take away from our neighbor. So we consent to socialism, which will force the contributions of our neighbor. And of course, that makes us a thing. You know, an object. And, and it takes away that which makes a man a man, his power of choice. And if you're taking that power away from your neighbor through the systems of governance that you create for yourself, you're on the road to destruction, my friend. Verse 13, The wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me, this wisdom, of the snare, of the net. They even talk about the bird is trapped in the net if he consents to have one purse. And you can look up our article on one purse and, and find out what, what, what that's all about. Uh, David and Paul talk about this warning also uh, of their tables being a snare. See, if you're eating at your table, your drink, your food, that's one thing. But if you're eating at these other tables that David talks about, that Paul talks about, that the other prophets talk about, that are a snare, you will be snared. And of course, that's exactly what has already happened in America. And that is the source of all the problems in America and in the world today. The threat of the WEF. And this is one of the things Jordan Peterson hasn't figured out yet. Or at least doesn't seem to have figured out. He certainly didn't talk about it in his uh, study of uh, Exodus, which we we have we go through and we show what they were missing. Twenty one is one of the 
the chapters that will show you what they were missing. And until they address that, until they attend to that, no organization that they create will bring them any closer to liberty under God. It will not restore freedom in the world. Because this is where we took the wrong turn. And we did it before FDR with public education. I mean, back in 1910, they built a school here in Summer Lake, a little one-room schoolhouse. It's still standing, thanks to me. (laughs) But uh, uh, they built that with voluntary labor. And, And most of the voluntary lumber, it wasn't tax roll stuff. They did it themselves. But that's that's the poor man that saved them. But they've forgotten him. They don't remember the wisdom of doing it yourself. They think, well, we'll just put it on the tax rolls. Not the way to go. Because what you're doing is saying, we'll just make other people pay. We will eat the bread of our neighbor. We will drink the wine of our neighbor. We will hire men to force our neighbor to contribute to what we want for free. That's anti-Christ. That's anti-Christianity. That's anti-Moses. And it's certainly anti-Ecclesiastes. Verse 14. There was a little city and a few men within it. And there came a great king against it and besieged it. And built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man. He by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. And that's where that minister God that that no man remembered the poor man. But if we read on farther. And said I wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless in its capital wisdom. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom, small letter wisdom, is despised and his words are not heard. So, the wisdom that saved them was the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is, don't eat your neighbors. Don't take a bite out of your neighbor. Because you'll be devoured. And in the day when the strong man comes to take your city... You will not be able to stop them. You will not have the power to stop them. That's what we certainly saw during the pandemic. A lot of people saw this is crazy, this is crazy, but they're still there. They lost their businesses and their neighbors lost their businesses. But all this was because they had divided the social bonds of society by years of legal charity. Robert Malone said we live in a sick society and we need to reestablish those social bonds. This is how you do it. To actually do what Christ said. Not just say, Lord, Lord. But actually do what he says. Which is sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and create a system of righteous charity. Because in that righteous charity, you will create the social bonds. And you will remember the poor man. And, and the wisdom of the poor man. The words of the wise men are heard in the quiet more than in the cry of him that ruleth amongst fools. Who rules amongst fools is he who 
forces the people to make the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of Saul. The sacrifice of devils. But the wise, the wisdom of men, the wisdom of righteousness is heard in quiet. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. So, anyway, we got through that, but there's a lot in the footnotes on the side. It says, so, how do you destroy the city? How did you destroy Rome? How was Rome, which was a republic, which most of the charity of Rome was provided by free will offerings through their temples? And their temples were originally just areas, and then eventually, in their affluence, they built buildings. But it was all done by charity. So how was Rome destroyed if they were all using charity too? It's because they stopped using charity. Plutarch's life of uh, Coriolanus tells us that the man who first ruined Roman people was he who first gave them treats and gratuities. But this mischief, mischief, did we talk about mischief? Crept secretly and gradually in. And did not openly make its appearance in Rome for a considerable time. It crept in by by a, a variety of reasons. Julius Caesar was a big uh, implementer of that since he had formerly been a priest in the Temple of Jupiter, one of the high priests of the Temple of Jupiter. And then switched careers to become a general, but then sold millions of Gauls and two times, well, Gauls first, into slavery, and took the profits and funded the social welfare system of Rome. That was destructive to Rome. Uh, Augustus Caesar followed the same path. He, he took from those who opposed him, confiscated their lands, their properties, and then gave them out. FDR did the same thing. He was the one who confiscated your gold. But of course, he did not start the whole thing. Go back to Woodrow Wilson when people began to cast their gold and silver in the streets and take up notes instead because they could get lots of notes and borrow against the future of their children with those notes and eventually ran out of collateral. And so they said, we need more collateral. And so FDR produced the Social Security system where everybody who signed up became collateral for the debt of the United States. And now the United States only collects the tax to pay the interest on the loan. It does not fund government. It pays the interest on the loan. So Plutarch was again inspired to say the real destroyers of liberties of the people is he who spreads amongst them bounties, donations, and benefits. Well, that's Plutarch's opinion. But my opinion is the greatest destroyers of liberty are those who eat at the table of the men who exercise authority. To eat the bounties and donations and benefits of the men who set those tables. So what are those tables? Well, we'll have to talk about that and the dainties of rulers when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom.
after another brief break. So be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we're still in Ecclesiastes 9, because there's a few of these verses where I kind of skipped over some of the ideas that, you know, the poor man, the wise man, uh, you know, like I said, preachers were saying that uh, they didn't remember the poor man, but really what it was that they didn't remember is the wisdom that the poor man had. And the poor man had wisdom because he had humility, not because he was poor in riches. If we look at the word that they translate into uh, poor man, it's uh, it's uh, mekin, which can mean poor or poor man. Uh, but we also see it, uh, the countenance of poor uh, in Exodus 23.3 and it's used as a modifier in uh, Deuteronomy 24.12. And if a man be poor, uh, Deuteronomy 15.7. So it do, it can have something to do with something that the man does not have. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 5.8, we see it, oppression of the poor. But uh, a poor man is also somebody who doesn't have... Uh, too much pride. And uh, they're pointing out that this man who was the, the poor man that uh, was had this wisdom that could save the city. They forgot the man, but more important, they forgot the wisdom. And see, when a poor man takes of the men who exercise authority one over the other he he contributes to oppression he's he's benefiting because he's getting stuff somebody else's wine somebody else's food from the table of the ruler the rich man but he's oppressing one of the other neighbor who's forced to give, not out of out of love or out of righteousness, but out of force, and so therefore it's a system based on greed. It's a, a system uh, based on filthy lucre. It is a system that imparts to its participants the wages of unrighteousness through a covetous practice where he desires benefit at the expense of his neighbor. This is not that poor man. This poor man, even though he was a poor man, he shared wisdom, true wisdom, that saved the city. And the people forgot that wisdom. But that wisdom was that don't take a bite out of one another, lest ye be devoured. If we go back to Ecclesiastes 8, 7, we see you cannot find out the works of God under the sun by looking with your own eyes. You also will not remember the wisdom of God 
with your own intellect. Because it's not intellect that tells you what is good and evil. It's inspiration. And inspiration only comes if you can get near the tree of life, near to the tree of life, and eat of the tree of life. But people don't want to go near the tree of life because there's light shining there and that light will shine on them and they flee the light into the darkness. They flee it like Adam and Eve fled the garden. We're driven out by the light of what is righteous. But in Ecclesiastes 17, it's telling us the wise man hears, you know, this wisdom, the true wisdom that saves, not by looking with his own eyes, but in the quiet. So what do they mean, in the quiet? I mean, the word there is nakath. The original word is nakath. So, what, what does that original word, knockoff, mean? <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, it's defined as rest in quietness, but also as descent, as in judgment. Uh, it's, it's consisting of, uh, some Hebrew letters there, which is nun, uh, chet, tov. But the words, the letters that we see actually in the text is be it nun uh, chet tov. And of course tov is the letter of faith and be it is the letter of household. Nun is the, the, the motion, the, the swimming in the water. And so these words together, it, it can mean quiet or rest. But what it is, is in the rest of your own ego. In the quietness where you quiet your own ego. You're quiet, your own uh, desire to know. You cannot know the works of God under the sun by looking with your own eyes. So you quiet your own eyes, your own ambition, your own mind, and you listen for that tree of life. Now, in order to get close enough to the tree of life, to hear the tree of life, you must sacrifice because that is where, you know, the word Corbin is the sacrifice from That's the word for sacrifice, but it comes from a word that means to draw near because just as God sacrificed his will by giving you free will, you must sacrifice your will by giving your neighbor free will. That you do not look for men who rule and exercise authority or call themselves the fathers of the earth to take away from your neighbor. Because you're you're going to get farther away from the tree of life when you do that. You're turning your back on God. Now you have to repent and turn back to God and go back nearer to God by sacrificing for your neighbor. I mean, you, you are willing to sacrifice your neighbor. The sons of Jacob were willing to sacrifice Joseph into bondage. They would not hear the cries of Joseph And they sold them into bondage. So they themselves went into bondage. Back in Genesis. Jordan was trying to say that that suddenly the Pharaoh was trying to make them slaves. No, they were slaves back in Genesis. Corby slaves. 
He was trying to make that servitude more rigorous by hiring 60,000 new taskmasters or whatever the number was. Of course, I'm playing around with modern news here, but the reality is is he's going to make life more rigorous today, just like the Pharaoh made life more rigorous. But you were in bondage almost a 100 years ago. You had already gone into the Corby system of bondage. Are you astonished? <laughs> Have you been a fool? Are you sons of fools? Have you been cursed by the deeds of your parent? Forgive them. They know not what they do. Repent. Think the other way. There is a way out, Christ told us. But you have to actually do what Christ said, not pretend to be believers in a fictional Christ. One sinner destroyeth much good. How does he do it? By spreading gifts, gratuities, and benefits amongst the people. He destroys that which is good and brings the the whole world back into bondage. How does he do that? There are two tables talked about in the Bible over and over again. Psalm 69.22 Let their table become a snare before them. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened. They can't see anymore. They, they, they don't have eyes to see. And they see not. And they make their loins continuously shake. Pour out thy indignation upon them. He's talking to the Lord. Let thy wrath, consequences, take hold of them. Why? So that they will wake up. Let their habitation be desolate. And let none dwell in their tents. You don't dwell in your tent now. You don't own your home. We were just talking to somebody last night. Uh, people pay twelve, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year taxes on their home. If they don't for two years, they just get by them for two years. The state will take their house away from them, throw them out on the street. That's the institution you've created. Because they don't live in their home. Their home might be worth $300,000, $400,000. They only owe $40,000. They'll take the whole home away from them. And maybe give them no, not even a dime back. Happens every day. Happens to widows and orphans a great deal of the time. Because they can't pay the tax. Because they don't own their own home. They have legal title. But legal title does not include... It's an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest. You have no right to use the house if you don't pay the tax. You already own nothing. Already a done deal. You're worried about the WEF and you don't understand this basic... You know, I'm quoting you right out of the law. And you don't understand it. Because you're back in the bond. The Israelites didn't own the land in Goshen. They didn't own all of their labor. And that bondage got rigorous. Because the Pharaoh at that particular time was instituting wars all over 
the area around about him. But the interesting thing is this Psalm 69.22 that I just read from is quoted by Paul in Romans 11. Verse 8. According as it is written, because it was already written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears so that they should not hear. Just like David said, eyes darkened unto this day. And he goes on in verse 9, And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, he repeats that, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. Because they're back in servitude again. And they're back in servitude because they were willing to covet their neighbor's goods and listen to brutish pastors who said they're already saved and don't worry about anything and don't don't keep the commandments. You don't need to keep the commandments. You just have to believe and you're saved and come to my church and tithe to me on a regular basis. You have been lied to. And you have been following the blind. Wake up. Wake up. 1 Corinthians 10.20 But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice. What do they sacrifice? Well, taxes. They sacrifice to devils. And not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You should be drinking of your own cup. But if you end up needing help, you should eat, drink of the cup of the Lord. Which is a cup filled with charity and love of neighbor for neighbor. And the cups of devils, you can't do both. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Now, some people wanted to criticize me that I'm somehow saying that nobody should take Social Security, nobody should take welfare. I don't take Social Security. I don't take welfare. I don't take Medicare or Medicaid. But I don't know about your particular situation. I'm just telling you what Paul said. What I'm trying to do is get you to set the table of the Lord because there are these two tables. We go back to Ecclesiastes 5.1, the sacrifice of fools. That's what he's talking about, the table of devils, the sacrifice of devils. And we we've gone this wrong way. We can look at Luke 22.30. And we may eat, drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Christ has a table. And he sets it. How does he set it? We see in Acts 6 too. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So if you want to know what that is, you can go to Ecclesiastes 11.2 and find out what the portion of seven. We talked about portion in Ecclesiastes 9. Well, there's the portion of seven. 
But we're not in Ecclesiastes 11, so let's finish this idea of tables. Because even in Isaiah 28.8, we see, For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness. This is the unrighteous mammon. So that there is no place clean. Whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. We've talked about milk and meat. We have an article there on on milk and meat. You can look that up at Preparing You. Part of the great misconceptions that have come down to false Judaism and has fed false Christianity. Now, there was a Judaism. I wouldn't call it Judaism. Moses. Moses was on the right track. But even at the time of the Pharisees, they claimed to have Moses, but they didn't. Just as modern Christians claim to have Christ, but they're not doing what Christ said. They're going to the men who call themselves benefactors. They're going to, they're praying to the fathers of the earth who only give you what they take away from their neighbor. And this is why you're having all the problems. You can go elect anybody you want to office. It will not change the course of this nation. Before governments will change, men must change. Malachi 1.7 Ye offer polluted bread upon my altar, and ye say wherein have we polluted thee, in that ye say the table of the Lord is contemptible. Well, we, we can go look at those individual words. He says the same thing in, in verse 12. But ye have profaned it, and ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Those are the wages of the the unrighteous wages. The rewards of unrighteousness. Because they're based on forced offerings, not free will offerings. This is what Malachi was talking about it. Uh, Isaiah was talking about it over and over again. In Malachi 2.2 2, he says, If ye will not hear, because you don't have ears to hear, and if ye will not lay to heart, because you don't have room in your heart for the truth, to give glory unto my name, my character, my way, the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse you Curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already because ye do not lay it to heart. And because those tables are snared, like David said. Isaiah 8.14 And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the house of Israel for a gin, for a snare, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. How? Covetous practices, which Peter tells you will make you merchandise. He also says in First Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 8, And the stone of a stumbling and a rock of offense even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, while thinking they are obeying, 
whereunto also they were appointed, having eyes full of adultery, full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and hearts. They have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. He says the same covetous practices make you merchandise, bring you back into the bondage of Egypt. And of course, that is what you have done. You have brought yourselves back into the bondage of Egypt. And in doing so, you have been snared again. Surely in vain, the net, you know, we can go to Proverbs 1. Surely in in vain, the net is spread in the sight of any bird. We should have seen this. Our pastor should have seen it. Because it's right there in the text and it's referred to over and over again in the New Testament. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not, swear not to be a part of that system. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Well, if they said it that way, you might. But what they're saying, let's let's take a bite out of the rich. Because he's our neighbor, but we're going to take a bite out of the rich and make him contribute to our welfare. And then the rich becomes anybody who's a little bit better off than you. And then by this whole process, the whole world is made poor. They shut down businesses. They they made hardworking people go on unemployment and welfare. And so now everybody's looking for blood. Because they have made a habit out of biting one another. And now they all are devoured. Let let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. What gives you the right to take away from somebody else who's produced more than you? Socialism says you have that right. But socialism is the ideology of hate. It is the ideology of greed. It It runs on greed while claiming that capitalism runs on greed. Most people who are successful in business are successful so they can support their family. A large portion of them are charitable. And if we hadn't gone the way of socialism way back with FDR and public education, they would still be having to practice, the wealthy would have to practice charity in order to receive the support of the people. And you would receive the blessings of God. Instead, you're receiving the curses of God. Because you've gone out of the presence of God. And now you don't want to go back and see the truth of this. Because you have to see the truth of your own error. Because, you know, I mean, Proverbs goes on in verse 12. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. In other words, you're still alive. But you have to bow down your back and work. For the man. Because you waived a right to a portion of your labor in order to get free stuff at the expense of your neighbor. We shall find all precious substance, they promise. We shall fill our houses with spoil, cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My sons, walk not thou in the way of them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Well, we didn't do that. For their feet run to evil, so we ran to evil as well. 
and we make haste to shed blood, and now we shed the blood of the unborn. And even the born, we cut them up and butcher them in the name of our God, which is not the God of heaven. It's the God of this world. Christ defeated him, but you let him back in. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of the bird, but he still makes the net. And they that lay wait for their own blood, they lurk privately for their own lives. You see, once you go that way to, to benefit at the expense of others, it will be at your expense. And that's, it, you're not dealing with that. And the way to deal with that is to forgive the world. Forgive the WEF. It has no power. But what you have given it, stop giving it power. Start becoming Start becoming the light in the room. Because those who love evil hate the light. They can't go near the light. So repent. Join us on the network. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Set the table of the Lord. Until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.